Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Happy Holy Week. It's a guest essay by Sarah Miles. Miles is Director of Ministry at St. Gregory of Nyssa Episcopal Church in San Francisco. She has three books I highly recommend. Number one, Take This Bread, from 2007, number two, Jesus Freak, from 2010, and then she has a new book recently published called City of God, Faith in the Streets, 2014. Sarah's essay is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, April 13, 2014, Palm Sunday, or Passion Sunday, the sixth Sunday in Lent. This past weekend in my city was beautiful. Sunny, with bright flowers popping out everywhere, and little birds singing their heads off in the trees. The farmer's market in our neighborhood was overflowing with ramshackle piles of pea shoots and asparagus, and I ran into some friends, radiantly happy, who were carrying their new baby. We stopped to talk, and the baby's dad, who isn't a Christian, but has always taken a kindly interest in my church work, said, I know you must be get busy getting ready for Easter, right? Isn't it soon? So what's the thing to say? Do you tell people, Happy Holy Week? Well, I said, you could say Happy Easter when it's actually Easter Day, or Christ is Risen, if you're hardcore, I guess. But until then, it's kind of confusing. There's a lot of different stuff going on in Holy Week. You could get whiplash. Think about it. During Holy Week, we wave palms in the air and hail Jesus as King, the long-awaited Messiah who's going to save us from our oppressors. Then we change our minds and scream that the oppressors should crucify him. We share a loving Last Supper with Jesus, and he washes our feet. Then we sneak out after dinner and betray him. Jesus begs us to stay with him. We promise we will, and then we don't. We abandon him. He's arrested and beaten. He forgives us. Then we run away. Then Jesus is killed. We lay him in the tomb and weep. We go back for him, then he's gone, then he's back, and then, wait, he's not dead at all. No wonder we need so many props and readings and songs and costume changes, even to begin to tell the story. No wonder Holy Week can feel like symbolic and rhetorical overload, not to mention whiplash. What with the palms and the Passover, the royal banners and the moth-eaten cloths, the celebratory feasts and the solemn fasting, the wails of lamentation and the ecstatic singing. What is anyone supposed to say about it all? Happy Holy Week? No wonder the world prefers Easter bunnies. But don't be afraid. 
There's a lot going on at this time of year, but that's because underneath it all, the Holy Spirit is once again gathering God's people, as she always does, to witness to Christ, to receive Christ, and to be Christ. We witness to Christ in song and story throughout Holy Week. On Palm Sunday at my church, we go outdoors and process through the streets with our palms and loud songs, sometimes feeling a little foolish in this secular, gentrifying city. We call out the name of Jesus and sense the new high-tech condos on the corner. We stop in front of a whole food store and read the ancient prophets aloud, testifying to the real whole food, the bread of life, the body and blood of Jesus we carry with us. And then we receive Christ throughout Holy Week, too. Even when our sin-sick souls or sorrowing hearts try to push him away. On Palm Sunday, our sanctuary is always draped with bright banners and huge palm branches and set with tables for an extravagant early morning feast. For the last 10 years, this breakfast has been organized by a man who's now dying in hospice. He can no longer walk or speak or eat. And I thought this year maybe we should call the feast off. But others insisted on cooking, and some kids offered to serve and wash dishes. And after the service, others are going over to sing hosannas at our brother's hospice bedside. In thanksgiving for these God-given lives, with their sweetness in pain. And so, we become Christ. We bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We receive as king the servant who gives us everything. His blood, his flesh his breath, his spirit, his breakfast pancakes. We forgive ourselves and each other. We serve. We enter his suffering. We offer our whole selves to God and each other so that we can prepare to die and then be reborn with him. There's no way to contain the mystery of Holy Week in a greeting card. There's no way to convey the immensity of the Passion through even our most over-the-top, week-long, complicated liturgies. But beginning on Palm Sunday, we have the opportunity once more to witness, to receive, and to be Christ. Whether we're walking through the spring sunshine in our neighborhoods, or waiting and worrying by a bedside in the dark hours before dawn. Whether we're rejoicing in the birth of a child, or grieving a loss, we're not alone. He is drawing us nearer to each other, nearer to God, and nearer, always, to Easter. A guest essay by Sarah Miles For books this week, I review a fantastic biography by Robert Hilburn. The title 
Johnny Cash, The Life. New York, Little Brown and Company, 2013. 679 pages. Almost everyone who was close to Johnny Cash wrote their memoir. His two wives, his son John, his daughter Roseanne, and his bass player of 25 years, Marshall Grant. Cash himself wrote two autobiographies, one in 1975 and one in 1997. There's a mountain of secondary sources. And so, is there any need for another book about Johnny Cash? Robert Hilburn, the music editor of the Los Angeles Times for 35 years, put this question to Lou Robbins, who managed Cash for 25 years. When asked how much of the Johnny Cash story had really been told, Robbins replied, only about 20%. Cash himself wanted his full story to be told and admitted that his two autobiographies failed in that regard. Robert Hilburn captures the many contradictions in Johnny Cash, beginning with his childhood picking cotton in rural Arkansas to his superstardom as a cultural icon. He's unsparing in his depictions of Cash's drug addiction, womanizing, no-shows at numerous concerts and recording sessions, arrests, and the havoc and heartbreak that he caused his family. He also does an excellent job of depicting the many challenges that an artist must negotiate, balancing artistic integrity and commercial viability, remaining creative, conflicting advice from corporate executives, producers, managers, friends, and family, physical and mental exhaustion from a grueling lifestyle, all the people who want a part of you, and always wondering who you can trust. Hilbert returns time and again to the baseline of Johnny Cash's life, his unapologetic Christian faith, which irritated so many people. <clears throat> How could someone so profligate be so pious, people ask. According to Hilburn, Cash's Christian faith was always the genuine article and never a commercial ploy. He read the Bible daily, made a recording of the entire New Testament, took an online study course, and appeared in three dozen Billy Graham crusades. Near the end of his life, Cash cut two songs that punctuated this point. First, there's the video Hurt, which some have hailed as the best music video ever and has had 60 million online views. Then there's When the Man Comes Around, which Hilburn calls the ultimate statement he was seeking. It's based upon numerous texts in the Bible, especially those from the book of Revelation. The latter song, When the Man Comes Around, is about the second coming of Christ and the last judgment. Its origins go back to a 1993 dream in which the Queen of England told him, 
Johnny Cash, you're just like a thorn tree in a whirlwind. In an interview with Hilburn, Cash confided his regrets about not being a better husband and father to his five children, a better Christian, and even a better musician. I needed help to make that last record, and I'm not just talking about Rick Rubin and the others. I called upon Jesus. He stood with me. I can never praise him enough for all his blessings. But I tried to praise him with my song, The Man Comes Around. If someone is still listening to my music 50 years from now, if someone is listening at all, I hope they're listening to that song. Robert Hilburn, a definitive biography of Johnny Cash. For movies this week, we go to the country of Iran in a movie called The Past from 2013. The writer-director Ashgar Farhadi's previous film called A Separation won an Oscar in 2012 for Best Foreign Film. Like that previous film, The Past takes a long look at what seems like a simple domestic story. After four years back in Tehran, Ahmad returns to Paris to finalize his divorce with his French ex-wife Marie. Played by Bernice Beho, who won Best Actress at Cannes for her performance. But like the layers of an onion, the more the story progresses, more and more layers of complexity are revealed. The pain and confusion that greets Ahmad revolve around Marie's sulky teenage daughter from a previous marriage, who unloads on him about Marie's plans to marry Samir, her pregnancy, Samir's unfinished past, and how she herself contributed to it all. This film earned a whopping 96% on the tomato meter. In French, with some Farsi. From Iran, the movie The Past. <clears throat> and finally, for Palm Sunday poetry, we've posted a poem by Anna Akhmatova. She lived from 1889 to 1966. The title of her poem is Crucifixion. Weep not for me, mother. In the grave, I have life. The choir of angels glorified the great hour. <clears throat> the heavens melted in flames. He said to his father, Why hast thou forsaken me? And to his mother, Oh, Weep not for me. Mary Magdalene smote her breast and wept. The disciple whom he loved turned to stone. But where the mother stood in silence, nobody dared even to look. Anna Akhmatova, 
crucifixion. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, April the 13th, 2014, Palm Sunday. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.